Hallelujah. All right. So we are continuing our study through the book of Enoch. And we're, we've been moving right along. And as always, we're seeking to align it with our canon. That is the 66 books of scripture that we know and love. Amen. Um, I have you know that the word canon, whether it's in the Hebrew or the Greek, simply means a measuring stick. You know, and so that's what we're doing. We're utilizing our measuring stick, you know, to measure as to whether or not Enoch is worthy um, of being called scripture. I think we've more than proved that, shown that, and proved that at this point. You know, and we're only halfway through. Amen. You know, so. Uh, today is no exception. We're going to continue on in this vein. And today we are going to be looking at chapter 42. How about that? 42 is the number for the day. We got Psalms 42 and then we're going to chapter 42. Yes. All right. So <clears throat> let's jump right in. Um, yeah. All we're going to do is Enoch 42 today. All three three verses. <laughs> the whole chapter is nothing but three verses. You know. Well, hallelujah. Um, Enoch 42, verses 1 and 2. My first reader, please. Wisdom found no place she might dwell. Then a dwelling, then a dwelling place was assigned her in the heavens. Wisdom went forth to make her dwelling among the children of men and found no dwelling place, no dwelling place. So wisdom returned to her place, and she took her seat among the angels. Hallelujah. So here it is. We see a little tale about Miss Wisdom. All right. So God has helped me and blessed me to understand that this incident is also shown more fully in our canon. But that ye might recognize it. That is, see it more clearly, let us first consider wisdom and her symbology. You know, in, in the book of Sirach, which is one of the apocryphal books, um, it speaks about wisdom. In verses one through four, it says, wisdom shall praise herself and shall glory in the midst of her people. In the congregation of the Most High shall she open her mouth and triumph before his power. I came out of the mouth of the Most High and covered the earth as a cloud. I dwelt in the places, I dwelt in high places, and my throne is in a cloudy pillar. So hereby we learn that wisdom uh, symbolically represents cloud. Yo, 3837 um, also bears witness to this. It says, who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? Now, Yes, Yahoo chapter 60, verse 8, or Isaiah 68, if you prefer, says, Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Thereby showing us that clouds symbolically also speaks to doves. So hereby we learn wisdom is depicted scripturally as well as spiritually as clouds and clouds as doves. Anybody follow me so far? Yeah. That said, it's important to always remember that Yah isn't the only maker of clouds. <clears throat> Again, Yeshua Yahuwah, Isaiah 60, verse 8, 
said, who are these that fly as a cloud? And you can see why they liken clouds to doves. If you look at the cloud there, it greatly resembles a dove, does it not? You know, um, they both white, they both hang out in the sky. You know, so um, yes, so I, Isaiah 68 says, who are these that fly the cloud and as the dust to their windows? You know, so this is an important tidbit, you know, when you're in the world of scripture, you know, and, you know, just for um, the visitor's sake, I just want you to know, like, we hold to scripture being a world in and of itself, you know, and in that respect, scripture defines scripture. Now, as I said, there's more than one type of um, cloud, though. There's a cloud from above and there's a cloud from below. So there's a type of wisdom from above and there's a type of wisdom from below. Let me have my next reader read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if he have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Hallelujah. So, hereby we learn that there's a wisdom that's descended not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. And there is a wisdom that is from above, that is pure, that's peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace with them that make peace. You know, so we have a wisdom from above, we have a wisdom from below. Amen? Amen. So hereby we learn that there is a wisdom from above as well as a wisdom from below. It's important that we don't get the two mixed up or think that they're both equal. And this, unfortunately, is what happens in our day and time quite a bit. You know, um, so as a side sidebar, we're going to take a little more in-depth look at this. For in this picture, you can see, you know, a type of both. You can see a type of wisdom or clouds from above and a type of wisdom or clouds from below. Amen? You know, and when they're just up in the sky, it's kind of hard to discern, right? You know, but there is one that come from below and one that come from above. You know, and so we want to be able to distinguish between the two because one will lead you to God and the other one will lead you to the other guy. H-E double hockey sticks, right? You know, so we want to definitely be able to, to discern between which wisdom we are adhering to. You know, and just like they look the same, they also sound the same. Say a lot. 
you know, and so it can be somewhat, somewhat, you know, difficult to distinguish the two. Now, scripture also teaches us that men can be types of clouds. Amen. It says uh, um, in Jude 112, it says, these men are hidden reefs, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, devilly dead and uprooted. You know, and um, yeah, you can tell Jude did not care much for these guys, these guys, type of guys, right? You know, but what we want to focus in on is that clouds without water. You know, um, water represents what? Truth. So what we're looking at is their men without truth. You know, carried along by winds. That's important. You know, what's another word for winds? Winds represent what? Spirits. All right. So here it is. We have men that are at men without truth that's carried along by spirits. Everybody with me? All right. Now, just so happens that Second Peter also speak about these very same um, guys that's been spoken of here in Jude 1.12. And it speaks um, very similarly, you know, but I'm going to show you just a step further, you know, as to what type of clouds they are. Now, take pay close attention that it says they are clouds without water carried along by winds. Now I'm going to show you what type of winds that carry, carry them along. And this found in 2 Peter 2.17. It says these are wells without water. Take note. Again, the water is, is lacking, no truth, right? Clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved. Now, if you look up this word tempest, you'll find that it speaks to a whirlwind, i.e. a tornado. Okay, now the interesting thing about tornadoes is that they come after the rain is gone. You know, they come after the rain is going they're clouds without water you know but they come with heavy heavy winds you know we know how damaging tornadoes can be amen you know but they are simply clouds carried about by wind and they're made into a whirlwind or a tornado and these are the type of men that's being spoken of in Jude uh, 1.12 and, and 2 Peter 2.17. They're carried about by spirits. And, you know, most of your tornadoes, you're going to see that the clouds are very dark. In, you know, because they're carried about by dark spirits. Unclean spirits. Can anybody see that? You know, so this is, this is also, this also speaks to that wisdom that is from below, you know, because you have spirits that's from above and spirits that's from below. Amen. You know, and these speak to those that are from below that act, that influence men and take them in different places to cause destruction, you know, and so very uh very important 
that we understand that, be able to see, you know, what's being spoken of here. We talk about men that's walking around, you know, preaching and teaching and have no truth. Have no truth. They have no water. You know, they're just being carried around by winds, by unclean spirits. You know, and it actually speaks to them being within our midst. I mean, you know, so that's 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 something to, uh, to take into account, especially seeing that we know the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? Which speaks to the kingdom, the kingdom of um, heaven and tells us that, hey, the wheat and the tares, they grow up together. They're, they're right there together. So it aligns right with that. Now, you know, inspired writers, you know, it tells us that all of scripture is inspired. But there's a lot of other writings that's inspired as well. You know, and we would like, we know like those writings that was inspired of Yah was inspired of wisdom that was from above. But there are also words that were that were inspired by that wisdom from below and just as an example of both let us consider the world of science you know much of the scientific knowledge of the world actually was derived from that wisdom from below And conversely, the scriptures was inspired from that wisdom from above. And so you have one written by man, one written by Yah at the end of the day. You know, or you can say one written by the spirits that led men, and one that was written by the spirits that led, that Yah led, the um the men that was in in uh, inspired with spirits from, from above, you know, and so you get two types of writings, you know, and so I, I say this so that you understand, like there is a wisdom from above and a wisdom from below, and both of them can, can have things that are true in them, and both of them can even have truth, you know, the difference between something that's true and, and truth is something that's true is not necessarily always going to be true. But truth is always truth. It's like it's like the five and two plus three. It'll always be five. It never, ever, 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 ever changes. You know, but things that are true are subject to change. You know, all of us live in some type of house or structure, but if we came through there with a wrecking ball, it would cease to be, right? So even though that's true, it's not true, you know, because it's subject to change. You know, and we know that the scriptures are not subject to change. Hence, they are true. You know, and, and, and I bring this point out because there's a lot of propagation of scientific truth or scientific wisdom, I should say, that's going about today that's leading people astray. But if we would just stick to that wisdom from above, We'll be much better off. 
you know, and this is why many times you'll, you'll hear me, you know, say the scriptures are my truth. And they truly are. This is my truth. This is what I live my life by. You know, when you come and ask me a question, it's, it's filtered through this. It's based upon this. You know, so like this is the guiding force for my life. I try to have a scriptural reason for everything I say and do. You know, and I teach that you all should also try to have a scriptural reason for the things you say and do. Amen. All right. Whoa. Whoa what you doing? Just went on the zigzag. Boom. All I did was put one time. Thank you. See? Yeah. So when you see a cloud or a dove in the heavens above or within scripture, you should now think, uh, first thing you should think of is wisdom. Next, you should ask thyself whether it's wisdom from above or wisdom from below. Likewise, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge come your way in other forms you know so you always want to you always want to be cognizant you know whenever you're hearing hearing something and you want to discern as to whether or not it's wisdom from above or it's wisdom from below or rather it's predicated upon wisdom from above or predicated upon wisdom from below you know you may see something on social media or or on TV or in a movie, you you know, you ask yourself, you know, is this predicated from uh, upon wisdom from above or from wisdom from below? Amen. You know, um, Enoch 42, 1 and 2 said, wisdom found no place she might dwell. Then a dwelling place was assigned her in the heavens. Wisdom went forth to make her dwelling place among the children of men and found no dwelling place. So wisdom returned to her place and she took her seat among the angels. So now that we uh, that you have this newfound understanding of wisdom, can anyone tell me where this scene is depicted within our canon? Proverbs. Proverbs, that's a good tribe, but not so. Yeah, it's kind of sitting right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it wasn't supposed to be, you know. <laughs> It, it, it actually wasn't supposed to be, you know. So, like, yeah, my PowerPoint is have, is acting up, you know. So just <coughs> excuse me. It just um yeah totally threw threw everything off. Okay, so yes, it's depicted within our canon in the Book of Genesis, um, chapter eight, verses eight and nine. It says also he sent forth a dove. Now we know the dove represent what. All right, you know, um, now he sent forth a dove from him to see the waters, to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. Can you see that this is synonymous with what we're being told in Enoch 42? Wisdom went forth to make her dwelling among the children of men. She found no dwelling place. The dove went forth 
you know, to find rest for the sole of her feet, you know. Um, but she didn't find no place to rest, no dwelling place. So wisdom returned to her place and took her seat among the angels, you know, even as the dove returned unto Noah in the ark. Now we know the ark represents the kingdom of heaven. It represents Yah's covenant, his people. It represents, you know, the presence of Yah, you know, where, um, where he is, his, his covenant, you know. And so we see a parallel with Enoch 42 and Genesis 8, you know, and I just thought that was one of the most awesome things I've seen in quite a while, you know. Um, so, you know, that really had me up in arms and running around my office, uh, you know, but I'm okay today. That was, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, now also take note that wisdom, you know, seems to be an angel. Mm -hmm. She took her place amongst the who? The angels, right? You know, all right. Now, Enoch 42, three says, and unrighteousness went forth from her chambers, whom she sought not, she found, and dwelt with them as rain in a desert, like dew on a thirsty land. Now, knowing wisdom from above is symbolized by clouds and doves, it should now be clear as to what the, um, yeah, I messed up, to what unrighteousness represents, you know, but yeah, the answer's in there. Um, it represents the raven that's found in Genesis 8. You can tell I was rushing, right? I was trying to get here. You know? um, so in Genesis 8, 6, and 7, it says that it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. You know, now, I pray that you can see that this raven represents unrighteousness that went forth from her chamber. Now, now that we have understanding of the symbolism involved, we can now apply it to the fuller story found within our canon. Because this is where Enoch 42 ends, but Genesis 8 goes on to tell us a bit more, right? You know, so Genesis 8, 6 through 8 says, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days, that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went to and fro until the waters were dried up off the, off the earth. Also, he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. Everybody got that, right? Yeah. All right. Okay, according to Enoch 42.3, what does the raven represent? Unrighteousness. And from Genesis, um, represent from Genesis, and to whom is the raven sent forth to? Say again? The earth. The raven was sent forth to the earth. Anybody see that? You know, to whom was the dove sent to? The face of the ground. See, now, Unless you know the difference between the earth and the ground, this makes no sense. Most people think, okay, well, it's the same thing. You know, they just keep it moving while they're eating, right? 
you know, but we've learned that there's a difference. There's a distinction between the earth, Aretz, number 776, and the ground, Adamah, number 127, right? So the earth represents what? Yes, the world at large. And the ground represents what? The, the church. So when we're talking about the face of the ground, we're talking about the minds of the people within the ecclesia or the church of Elohim. Anybody with me? And we're talking about the earth. We're talking about the world at large. Anybody still with me? All right. And so like, usually the KJV distinguishes them, you know, in this manner, you know, cause the rats earth and cause uh, out of my ground. Most of the time, but not all the time, you know, that's translators, you know, they quite understand that or something because they didn't do it all the time. But a lot of the times they did. And in this case, they did. Okay, so here it is. We're told that the raven is sent to the earth, right? And the dove is sent to the face of the ground or to the minds of the people in the ecclesia in the church, right? All right, now I want you to consider verse, verse nine. It says, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him, she returned unto him in the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And then she put, then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. So why did the dove find no rest for the sole of her foot? Okay. Hold on. Let's back up a little bit. It, it may be in here, but I don't trust my PowerPoint at this point. All right. Let's go back to verse seven. It says, he sent forth the raven, which went to and forth into, um, until the waters were dried up from off the earth, right? All right. So where did the raven go? To the earth. Is that anybody, anybody in agreement with that? Because he didn't. He didn't. According to Enoch 42, 42 verse 3, where did the raven go to? Let's go back. Take note, 42 verse 3, it says, and unrighteousness went forth from her chambers, whom she sought not, she found, and dwelt with them. Who was she sent to? The unrighteous, the world at large, right? But whom she sought not, who wasn't she sent to? Who wasn't she looking for? The righteous, the church. Right? The ecclesia of, of Yah. That's who she wasn't sent to. But whom she sought not, she found. And dwelt with them. 
Everybody see that? Yeah. All right, now we're going to take it one step further. How did she dwell with them? As rain in a desert, like dew on a thirsty land. Now, with that in mind, he, verse 8, he also sent forth a dove to see if the waters were abated from the face of the ground. Right? Verse 9, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. Why didn't she find rest for the sole of her foot? Because of what? Yes, because the, the raven was as rain on the ground. It was like rain and dew, so the ground was still wet. Can you see that? You know, so I, I pray that you I pray that you can see that because that's huge. You know, because the raven went to the wrong place. You know, where the raven wasn't trying to go, they grabbed hold to the raven, and they soaked up the raven. They they grabbed hold of the raven. They held on to the raven. Raven was trying to go to the world at large, to the unrighteous, but the church grabbed hold to it. And they became wet by the, the rain, like the rain and the dew. Can you see that? So when he sent forth the dove, i.e., wisdom, wisdom couldn't find no place to dwell because. The raven was in her place. Unrighteousness was there. As rain in the desert, as dew in a thirsty land. Everybody with me? All right, so it says that uh, then he put forth his hand. It says, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth, and these are the waters that was on the face of uh, on the face of the ground, you know, as well as the rest of the earth was that unrighteousness. Then he put forth his hand, took her, and pulled her in unto him into the ark. Now, this happened again later within our canon. Can anyone tell me where, when, and with whom? It's not a trick question. It's not that difficult. Oh, it's a prophet when he was fed by the raven? That is good. But that's not what I'm looking for. That is that is good too, but but that's not it either. That is part of it, but that's not it right now. So I want you to think about it. We know what the symbolism represents, right? You know, so when was wisdom sent out again? We know what the symbology of the wisdom is, right? You know, so this happened again later within our canon. Where did it happen at? When did it happen? With whom? With the Israelites in the desert? Yes. Wow. By day. Yes. Hallelujah. Wow. Yeah. Hallelujah. It's found in Exodus 14, 19 and 20. It says, and the angel of Elohim. What type of being is wisdom? And the angel of Elohim, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, 
and the pillar of the cloud. What is the symbology of wisdom? A cloudy pillar. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Now check this out. This is where it gets deep. And it came between the camp and the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave, hello, Raven. But it gave light by night to these. Hello, Doug. So that the one came not near the other all night. But we already know what happened. They soaked up the unrighteousness. They held on to the raven and let the dove go back. Amen? Can anybody see that? This is why all through the wilderness, they're being what? Unrighteous. To the point where Yah decides to slay all of them in the wilderness. Amen. Amen. Everybody with me? I didn't think it. I didn't think this justified the rubber boots. Should I put the rubber boots precursor out there? Yeah, let's put the rubber boots out there. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Yeah, put your goggles on. Let's just we just going for going for a dive, you know. All right. So Genesis eight ten, and he stayed yet other seven yet other seven days. Who, who are we talking about? We're talking about the dove, right? Because the dove is the one that went back. Right? Mm -hmm. So now you know, like, when we when we read in Genesis 8, you know why the raven never came back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and but the dove did. It says he stayed yet other seven days. And again, he set forth the dove out of the ark. So now, sins are forth again. Wisdom comes, comes, comes out the ark again, comes out of the kingdom of heaven again. Now that we understand the symbology involved, we should be able to see things a bit clear. Therefore, can anyone tell me what this passage is a depiction of? Um, the dove coming to um, Yahshua. Yahshua. It's a depiction of Yahshua. Um, when, well, actually, Yahshua, after he was baptized, the, uh, the, the Ruach, coming upon them. We find it in Luke 3, 21 and 22. It says, and when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Yahshua also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open and the Ruach, the Ruach HaKadosh descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven um, which said, thou art my beloved son, in thee, I am well pleased. Can you not see that this cloud in the form of a dove descended upon Yahshua? And we know uh, Yochanan and Mercer or John the Baptist bore witness that it stayed upon him. Right? You know, and so we can see when Wisdom was sent forth again out of the ark. Amen? Anybody still with me? Yeah. Verse 11. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So the dove came back 
But it came back in the evening and an olive tree was plucked off. So no one knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. Now, this is, well, I didn't mean for that to pop up. I thought I had a question. This is a depiction of what? Which says what? No. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah, can't remember, huh? <laughs> but think about think about the symbolism. You know what? What are we being told? The dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. What is this a depiction of? Say again. The bringing in of Israel. The bringing in of Israel. Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Pentecost. Okay, y'all guessing that. All right. All right, so this is a depiction. This is a depiction of the ascension of Yahshua. Absolutely. Acts 1-9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So can you see that wisdom took him out of their sight? And he was that olive leaf. Why do we call him an olive leaf? Because he was a son of David. And David tells us in Psalms 52, 8, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of Elohim. I trust in the mercy of Elohim forever and ever. Also, you can see it in the fact that Israel in scripture is depicted as an olive tree. You know, Romans 11 speaks about how, you know, the Gentiles are grafted into that olive tree to that. They were like a wild olive tree that was grafted into um, the olive tree of Israel. And of course, Yahshua was also of Israel, right? You know, so can you not see the dove with an olive um, leaf in its mouth going back into the kingdom of heaven. Can you see that? I pray you can see that. Because it's like crystal clear to me. It's just super it's super clear and it's it's super powerful. You know. So yes, this is just simply a depiction of Yahshua ascending back into the heavens but also it's more than that it was also a prophecy that it would happen it was also a prophecy that it would happen thousands of years before it took place because you have to consider you know we're talking about genesis 8 this is they just they haven't even got off the um noah's ark yet but here we had a text speaking about yahshua who wouldn't come for about 4,000 years. See, this is why, you know, this is why 
we say scripture was penned by Yah and not by man. Right. You know, well, let's put it this way. Scripture was penned by man, but it was authored by Yah. Because man couldn't do that. Right. You know, man couldn't write something that would come to pass 4,000 years later. No, he just he just can't do that. But y'all can, amen? amen? See, and that's the wonder of his word. You know, and that's why I'm so in love with his word. Because there's nothing else and no one else who can do such a thing. And the crazy thing about it is, not only was it written so far apart, you have all these different, different men that he inspired to pin his message to humanity. And yet his message is all cohesive. Nobody but Yah can do that. Genesis 8, 12 through 14 goes on to say, he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and beheld, behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dry. And so hereby, we learn that the dove will be sent out once more. We also can determine that there's going to come a time when the face of the ground will be dry. Yeah. That is, the mind of the believers will be dry, will be righteous, will be seeking Yah, will not be wet with unrighteousness. You know, and, and this is where we want to get to. You know, now, it, it, it would have really, really, really been convenient to stick Acts 2 up in there and say that was when the dove was sent forth yet the third time. But the fact of the matter is, y'all didn't give me confirmation on that, so I can't say that definitively. It seems as though it can fit, but it, I can't say it definitively because y'all did not give me confirmation on it. And, you know, um, and I can think of some ways where it won't fit. So it's not there. So I'm just hit you with a say lot. That's all I have for today. Prayers and blessings. Yeah.